There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. You're listening to our bookshelf segment on Talking of Books. The Bookshelf, what you should be reading. So joining Owen Hamilton on her panel at the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature is the wonderful Rahan Khan. Now, Yvette, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about Rahan? Um, well, Rahan's been associated with the festival for ages. And, and, and I think you've got, I don't know, may, maybe a, a day job that isn't particularly <laughs> literary. Um, so, so what's the day job, Rahan? I actually work for a telecoms company. Yeah, sort of, yeah. yeah. so um, moving on um, <laughs> to the exciting part of Rahan's life. He's a writer. Um, and yeah, you've, you've been working with us for a while. You do brilliant workshops and you're doing one of those at the festival on writing historical fiction, I believe. Are you looking forward to that? Yeah. So I guess this is really, you know, a lot of people are very passionate about a particular historical period. Yeah. And they want to communicate that passion into a story. And what this workshop's about is how can you forge that emotional connection with the reader so that the reader walks away really passionate about that historical period that you're really passionate about as well. And often, you know, uh, what happens when you start start writing historic fiction is that you get so bogged down into the research and you just end up boring the reader. So some of the books are so (laughs) tedious. It's like, come on, get on with it, you know. And so what that's the workshop's really about how do you design something that's going to be gripping and compelling. Fabulous. So if that appeals to you, if you're a historical fiction writer uh, and want some top tips from a man who's been long-listed for the Carnegie Award for his latest How book, exciting, how by exciting, the way. 7th of February, 9.30. Um, we'll see you there with, with Rehan. Um, and then, of course, the other event is when we're, we're popping you on the stage with Alwyn Hamilton, where you can both talk about your books, where you, you both embrace history but with that excitement that does not um bore the reader you don't get bogged down in the detail so can you tell us a little bit about your latest book yeah so the latest book which actually is out uh, is called a king's armor and it's the follow-up to a tudor turk okay and a king's armor is going to be um actually launching in london in march but it's going to be available at the lit fest in february Ooh, so exciting. global yeah. exclusive worldwide um, deal. Know. That's amazing. Yeah. It is, yes. Fantastic. It is. So it kind of picks up from where the sec- the first book left off. So the first book, I always like to describe it as kind of Mission Impossible in the 16th century, fast-paced action, adventure. Set in Istanbul. I mean, uh, and Istanbul has seen history of the world that, yeah. that has created it, that has moulded it, that has made it. And uh, I think the waterways have a huge amount to do with it. But Istanbul is one of my most fascinating favourite places uh, in the world in terms of his history. Yeah, yeah. So it's set at a time, obviously the first book is set at a time in the 1590s when actually Tudor England, they were trying to build strategic alliances with the Ottomans. They wrote, didn't they? Queen yeah, they, the there, was lot, was, there was a lot going uh, on. A lot of, there was a lot going um, on. A lot of letters were going backwards and forwards yeah. with emiss- emissaries. Indeed. That's a good word, yeah. Emissaries, yeah. yes. Emissaries, yeah. yes. I like that. And yeah. so our, our two main protagonists are kind of set in that, in, that, in that backdrop. They have to go and search for the Staff of Moses, which has been stolen from the Top Kapi Palace. And they go on an adventure, Istanbul, Alexandria, Venice, and end up in London. And so the second book then picks up literally the next second after the first book stops. And when I finish the first book, which actually ends on a uh, kind of a climax, 
I was thinking, where do I start the second book? Do I say six months later or do I make it the next second? So I thought, well, let's just make it the next second. Absolutely. So the second book starts off there. And the king's armor, um, they're, they're going in search of King David's armor. So Sultan Murad, uh, who is basically the Ottoman Sultan, he's never gone into battle. And he's read about this fabled armor that was molded by King David. And if you wear it, you'll be indestructible. And since he's never, and it's factually correct, he actually never took his army into, unlike Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent, he never led his army in. So he wants this fabled armor. And so the Ruzgar unit, who we you know, come together in the first book, and the first book is very much an origin story, whereas this is a quest story, they have to go on this new quest now to find the king's armor. And so Awa and Will and, you know, led by Commander Konyek and all the others, are off again on, a, on another journey. And this time they end up going from Istanbul. They go east. They go to Aleppo. They go to Damascus. They go to Jerusalem. And they go to one other place, which I'm not going to let on because I'll yeah. rather people it spoils read it that. Okay. It spoils it. Aleppo, we have a great collection, connection with Aleppo because we've got Nujim Mustafa, the okay. girl from Aleppo, who's returning. Um, and it's uh, her chapter two of what, what where life has taken us since then. But also we have an operetta, don't we? We do. I don't indeed. know if an operetta, um, uh, which which is as, as a result of authors. So uh, Nujin met um, Kevin Crossley Holland. Kevin Crossley Holland, who then was asked by the um, UK National Children's Choir or, or uh, you know Young People's Choir to write uh, the. The, the words or the lyrics for a, a, a short operetta on displaced people. Rahan was actually telling us a bit about A King's Armour, which is the second in the series. And rather than doing the typical six months later after the events in the first book, he decided to just go with what immediately hap what happens immediately afterwards. Um, you're appearing at the festival with um, Alwyn Hamilton, who is also um, a writer. She is giving we are giving away a copy of Rebel of the Sand, which is the first book in her series on the show today. Um, Yvette, can you just remind us of the competition question, please? I can indeed. Um, so for that for our competition this week to win copy of Alwyn Hamilton's book Rebel of the Sands one reviewer book said of the book it's like Red Queen meets the Hunger Games so can you tell us which 2019 Litfest author wrote Red Queen uh, text your answer to 4001 don't forget to tell us your name or you can use the Dubai iMessenger app so the event that you're going to be um speaking to Elwyn on is um, a fantastical writing conversation with the two of you um, now you both have stories that kind of traverse um, atmospheric, interesting parts of the world. Uh, you described your first book as um, Mission Impossible in set in the 16th century, which is an amazing tagline for a book. Um, what are you looking forward to asking Elwyn? Because I know you've read Rebel of the Sands. So what do you think about the book? How does it compare to yours? And what are you looking forward to asking her? Yes, yeah, so I think her book is a little bit like, you know, I think she described as Arabian Nights in the Wild West. And um, I think, you know, as a writer, I'd be really keen to see why, why did she include what she included in the book and what did she leave out? Because there's so much to go in terms of mythology from the Wild West and there's so much there in mythology of the Arabian Nights. Yeah. Like, how what, do you connect the two yeah, as well? How, yeah, what were the choices that she made? And, um, and also, that would be, I think, one thing. And the second thing would be, I think she's Canadian, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what's her kind of link to... Or her, you know, what, did, what research did she do? Because she's obviously not from uh, this part of the world. 
And yet she makes a lot of things really, really authentic when you read the book. And so how did she do that? And what um, you know terms that she used? Because she's reused a lot of terms from the Arabian Nights, but just given them a bit of a more modern mm-hmm. uh, sounding pronunciation to them. Uh, just what was that decision-making process really? And then how do the characters form in her mind? Because she's got a very strong, she's got one, the character, the whole book is written in one you know, point of view, which is like the Hunger Games. You know, mm. You're in Katniss's point of view. And here again, you're, in, you're the single protagonist's point of view. And that's really hard because to keep the reader's attention going for 200 odd pages with one point of view, it's, it's really hard. It's but she, you know, she pulls it off. So um, I think that's kind of, you know, why did she choose to do that when she could have done you know, multi-protagonists? This is something that's probably going to come up in your workshop, Designing Historical Fiction. But as, as a writer, um, I think we've discussed historical fiction on the show before. And the ones that really stand out are the ones where clearly masses of research has gone into it, but it doesn't show on the page. You're not just reading lists of this is what I've looked up and this is the, the interesting facts that I would like to share with you now. Um, did you have to do a lot of work to make the the history kind of set in the back of, of the, the story to like to keep the story to the forefront of your books? Or was I, it quite easy? No, I think it was. I mean, a lot of my story, because mine's historic adventure. Okay, so uh, that requires setting up big sequences, you know, so it might be like a chase sequence across the bazaars of Istanbul, or it might be, you know, London Bridge in the 16th century, which actually was seven stories high you know, made of rickety buildings with uh, tarred heads on spears at the top of it, right? Again, just knowing that, you can then kind of put that into the backdrop. Mm. So I think the way I use the historic um, facts is really to create the scenery behind what something is hap- where something is happening or like Leeds Castle, which is in Maidstone. It's not actually not in Leeds, in Leeds. it's in Maidstone. <laughs> so when you go there, you know, when I went there, I thought, my God, the moat here is amazing. This would be a, a brilliant headquarter for a dastardly villain in, in the 16th century, right? So I use kind of the history in that way. And so, so I've been fortunate to travel to a lot of the places I write about. So if you look at my travel log, of the last 10 years, you'll know what's going to come up in the book next. I was going the to next ask books. you that, actually. <laughs> how, how many of the places, particularly in the, in the, in the latest one, in King's Armour, how yeah. many, are, are there any that you haven't visited? No, I, I, I visited half of them. Okay. So, you know, so I haven't visited all of them, but I've visited half of them. That's on your yeah. travel log for the next 10 years. Then. Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, so I also wanted to know if in a King's Armour specifically, there was anything that you wanted to include any interesting piece of history that you really wanted to include, but you, you had to just edit it out. You had to murder your darlings. My goodness, that's a really difficult one. Um, I think there's a couple of characters I was thinking about bringing in, but I couldn't, and, and I, when I developed them, they were really interesting characters, but I couldn't see how to fit them into the overall cosmology of the, of the novel. Mm. And I thought, you know, this is going to be really jarring. It'll, it'll be almost like a, like a cameo. I thought that's not really going to work. So I think there was one or two characters I didn't bring in, but I thought I could save them for a future future date. <laughs> the next book. Um, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Talking of Books on Dubai I 103.8. And with us in the studio, Rahan Khan is talking about his latest book, A King's Armour, which is a sequel to A Tudor Turk, which um, he talked about at the festival last year. But he's talking about the new one, King's Armour. It's actually out at the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature in February, earlier than anywhere else, which is incredibly exciting. Um, if you'd like to find out more information about any of the authors that we've been talking about on the show today, Rahan included, you can go to Emirates Lit Festival. 
festivalfestivalfest.com. That's also where you can go to buy tickets to the festival as well. This uh, session that we've been talking about, we're talking about Alwyn Hamilton and Rahan Khan talking together at the festival on Saturday, the 8th of February at one o'clock. It's called A Fantastical Writing Conversation. And I think now would be a good time as well to just remind everybody um, very quickly of pricing um, because this session is actually aimed at um, the age group is 12 plus. So it's it's an event for all ages pretty much from from 12 and up and it's set at 30 just 39 dirhams and sessions start from 39 workshops and masterclasses are obviously a little bit more but we also have something very exciting this year we have weekend passes we do we do for the first time so you can either have a day pass for friday although those might have completely sold out now day pass for saturday or you can have a weekend pass and um, it means that you can get into all the standard main sessions at the festival um, and you can make your mind up about what you want to go to but then you might just pop into something that takes your fancy absolutely so that's a little bit more information for you um so alwyn hamilton and rehan khan appearing on saturday the 8th of february and the designing historical fiction workshop that rehan is doing um still has some tickets available so don't miss your chance to get a few of those as well. Do you have the details in front of you, Yvette? Of that when that session is? I do yeah. indeed. I think it is on Friday, the 7th of February at 9.30. So a bit of an early start, but by 11 o'clock when it finishes, you'll be fully pumped up, ready to write your book. And you'll know to everything to about <laughs> historical fiction. Absolutely. <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything ever written, ever said. No, maybe not. Um, <laughs> sorry, slight pressure there, Rahan. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> and we have been grilling Rahan Khan about his new book that he's going to be launching for the first time well it is a launch it'd be the first time um at the festival a king's armor available there before anywhere else in the world alwyn hamilton who he's uh, joining on a, on a panel with so they'll be together talking about their books but you have also been doing a mo- bit more reading for us haven't you we've been making you work a little bit so you've been having a look at books by bethany hughes and jonathan phillips um Jonathan Phillips, The Life and Legend of the Sultan Saladin, and Bethany Hughes, Venus and Aphrodite, I believe. Am I correct? Yes, because I'm going to be moderating a session. Ah, uh, Saturday night, I believe, I think. Yeah, I think you're 8th. right. 7.30 and on Saturday the 8th. It's called Legends in Their Own Time. And I think own is the operative word there because <laughs> obviously Salahuddin was a... Uh, you know, he's actually a real person. Venus Aphrodite is, is a myth, right? So it's going to be a very interesting uh, session. But if, if people who don't aren't aware of Salahuddin, I guess just like a two-minute version of his life and what, yeah. you know, what it's about. I'll be very impressed by this. Yeah, me okay, too. We're ready with timing you. Clock, so, clock, clock's on. So he, he, was, he was born ethnic Kurd and um, he grew up uh, with his family and they had to move to Damascus at the time. Um, and uh, in Damascus, he came under the wing of Nuruddin, who at the time, we're talking in the 12th century, he was leading the counter-crusade because the Franks had taken Jerusalem in, in 1099. So he joins him, and a little while after that, um, he's sent on a mission with his uncle to Egypt. Uh, and um, in Egypt, they eventually end up conquering Egypt. Uh, his uncle, who was rather a gregarious man, um, has too much food, ends up dying and Salahuddin is appointed as his successor. He was very young. He wasn't expected to take the leadership position, but he did. He then um, sets about becoming a really good administrator in Egypt. Egypt's a breadbasket of the region. 
he gets into understanding of tax revenues, income streams, not things that you'd really associate with Salahuddin, but, no. he, but he does it. And, and that economic power base really gives him the, um, you know, the, the fundamentals to go out and launch his own counter-crusade. Eventually, um, he comes back to Damascus, Nuruddin dies, he takes over Nuruddin's position. position. Uh, so now taking the power of Egypt, the economic power of Egypt, as well as Syria, he uh, uh, defeats many other Muslim rulers over that time. And then he shows great magnanimity and he sort of, you know, brings them on board. And then together they then get the energy to go for Jerusalem. And this is the counter crusade. They take Jerusalem in about 1187, I think it is. Um, there's no bloodbath. When the crusaders originally took through Jerusalem, there's a huge bloodbath. They massacred all the Muslims and Jews. He shows great generosity, great chivalry. But not too long after that, the kings of Europe, uh, led by Philip Augustus and uh, Richard the Lionheart and many others, come for the crusade to take back Jerusalem. He holds them off. They go, they leave. Uh, a few months later, Salahuddin dies in Damascus. And he dies personally uh, penniless. There wasn't enough money for his burial. But he leaves great wealth. Um, his reputation soars uh, amongst Europeans because they see him as this man who just gave everything to everyone, didn't keep anything for himself. At one point, the French even claimed that he was, he was French and he was born from a, a French nobility. Um, and uh, he's one of these figures who really, I think, has great respect in the West and the East. How was that for two minutes? Fabulous, no, not actually. bad. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty good. Not bad. Pretty yeah. good. Uh, remind us of the title of Jonathan Phillips' book. Yes, it's the life and legend of the Sultan Saladin or Salahuddin. If, if you Salahuddin. 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 Yeah, Salahuddin. Yeah, I they like use that. Saladin on this, don't they? Um, yeah, and it's got great it's reviews. Correctly, Salahuddin. And very readable, actually. Very readable book. Um, I, one of those things you think you know, but actually, yeah. as you were saying, gosh. Well, a few that. years ago at the Lit Fest, uh, there was another writer, John Mann, who was invited, mm. and he wrote a book on Salahuddin as well. And he's a journalist, uh, come historian. And it was a really good book. And uh, Jonathan Phillips is an academic historian. So I thought it was going to be a little bit drier, but it's not. It's, it's not actually really well written. It had readable. me gripped throughout the whole book. Okay. And, and so Bethany Hughes um, then. So it's not just her latest book, Venus and Aphrodite, um, because I think she's best known for a, a wide range of um, history books as well. Yeah, she, no, she is. I think obviously since that book is launching, we're going to obviously spend probably more time on it. And it's interesting because the whole Venus and Aphrodite uh, myth um, is quite interesting how the myth starts and where Venus comes from, Aphrodite comes from, which is probably not for radio consumption, <laughs> so I'll leave that bit. But um, and, and how really how she's uh, a goddess of the Greeks initially. Um, and how that kind of spreads. But also there are other cultures in, in, in other parts of the world. In, in Babylon, for example, there's a goddess with very similar prowesses. In Lebanon, there is as well. And what seems to happen is that over uh, you know, millennia, these various goddesses all come together in the shape of Venus and Aphrodite. And that's then th the legend that becomes. And then the Romans later claim her as, you know, one of the uh, mothers of one of their heroes. And Julius Caesar says, I'm descended from uh, you know, uh, Venus and Aphrodite. And, and um, so she's actually, you know, uh, really sort of a figure who I suppose is Eastern and Western. You know, Cleopatra claimed her descent from her at one point as well. Um, and, um, and I think the book really covers that and how up to the modern period, People have sort of gone back, um, and how how she shape shifted throughout throughout the eons. Uh, so you know, Bettany's working on very little, probably um, historical data that's 
that people are sure about. But she weaves together a very compelling book. It's very short. It's very, you could read it probably in a weekend very easily. It's also beautiful if anybody's you know, looking for any gifts. I was just going to say that. It's a stunning cover. Actually, I, I do like The Life and Legend of the Sultan Saladin as well. The, the cover of that. They, the publishers are really now going to efforts to make that attractive. Um, we are going to have to leave it there because we need to update you with the traffic. We're just popping in a bookmark, but we will be back. Just to let you know, Legends in Their Own Time, the session with Bethany Hughes and Jonathan Phillips is taking place at, on Saturday the 8th of February at 7.30. And you can get your tickets from emiratesletfest.com. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.